Hello, I'm Maria Titizian and welcome to EVN Report. On December 12 at 10.30 a.m., so-called Azerbaijani environmental activists blocked the Lachin Corridor, the only lifeline that Artsakh has with Armenia and the rest of the world. They did this in violation of the obligations assumed by Azerbaijan through the November 9, 2020 trilateral ceasefire statement that ended the 2020 Artsakh War. Uh, in fact, a week earlier, there was another attempt at closing and blocking the corridor on December 3. Uh, those uh, so-called environmentalists shut uh, the corridor down for three hours until it was reopened. On December 13, a day after, uh, around 6 p.m., Azerbaijani authorities cut the natural gas supply uh, to the Republic, which was restored only this morning, although the blockade continues. Again, as a reminder, back in March of 2022, Azerbaijani authorities, under the guise of uh, repairing uh, the pipeline, uh, shut off the natural gas uh, supply. This has been coined as a method of terrorizing the population. Now, joining us to talk about the current situation is Armenia's human rights defender, Kristina Grigorian. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yesterday, uh, your office, the Human Rights Defenders Office, and Artsakh's Human Rights Defenders uh, Office published a joint ad hoc public report called The Humanitarian Consequences of Blocking the Only Road Connecting Artsakh with Armenia and the World. You outline the situation in that report and you talk about uh, a number of rights that are being violated, you know, the rights of the child, uh, the right to access to health care. Could you very briefly, uh, in terms of the rights of the population of Artsakh, tell us what is the situation and what rights are being violated? Well, thank you very much for having me. You're right. Yesterday, the ad hoc report, which was published, it's a product of the work of two institutions. And uh, the report reflects the events and developments and the assessment of the situation between December 13 and 15. So it touches and it uh, reflects only those uh, couple of days events. First and foremost, it was very important for us to do an next expedited fact-finding, but not only fact-finding, but also verification, validation of the facts, which are true, according to the best international standards that our institutions are using as an independent national human rights institution. So this is uh, to be clear that our data, our facts are proved uh, from a different perspective with, I can say, with higher level of standard of proof and those are different from the governmental sources, governmental reports. Indeed, we have outlined the areas, the rights, the freedoms that were and are still violated by this blockade and all those acts uh, of cutting every possible uh, way of supply or uh, heating everything, which is which is being done by Azerbaijani authorities. But it was very important to start with revealing who these environmentalists are, because we are well aware that Azerbaijani narratives, their even their state officials, even their mem- uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Bayrama, was saying that it's not true that this is organized by Azerbaijan. So we've collected undeniable facts, and those are illustrated in our report, which shows that all those active members of these so-called manifestations, all the speaking roles, all 
called the leading roles. Some of them are identified by us uh, through using the information which is available in open sources as the national security and special force officers and workers. So uh, there is uh, respective evidence in our report. Part of the activists, so-called activists, are coming from the Azerbaijani non-governmental organizations who extremely and solely received the funds from only the government. Right, they're gongos, they're not NGOs as we would know them. In a a general meaning, it's Mm -hmm. very strange to talk about the Azerbaijani human rights activists because we're well aware it's not our sentiments, it's registered in different international reports. Human rights activists including environmentalists, are being prosecuted prosecuted Mm -hmm. and oppressed. And uh, they are working and they are talking outside from the country. It's it's the truth. So uh, first and foremost, we revealed this um, fake nature of these uh, events and showed that this is clearly organized and orchestrated and managed by Azerbaijani government. On the other side, while coming to the different types of rights, this is freedom of uh, free movement. This is uh, the first uh, freedom which is being violated and is still being violated so far. And uh, we have, uh, for that, we provided all the facts in terms of how many people were stuck at the both sides and cannot access to go back home, including those uh, number of those people is uh, more than 1,100. Out of them, 270 kids, children from different ages who were visiting Yerevan with different purposes and are stuck in, some of them in Yerevan, some of them are sheltered in Goris. Uh, the group of uh, uh, Yerevan, uh, the kids I have visited personally, I've seen them, I have seen how uh, psychologically uh, they are uh, under detention, etc. So right, because they're, most of them are here without their parents. They were here no, with teachers or They are accompanied yeah. only by one or two teachers. Right. And you were telling me uh, earlier that, you know, some of them are young, as young as 10 years old. So imagine... Yes. Being separated from your parents, not knowing when you'll be able to travel back. Yes, but uh, you will uh, be surprised to hear that when I was talking to those kids uh, between 10 and 14 years old, they were worried for their families. They were more worried for their yes, families. Yes, even though they are contacted by, they have these telephone calls uh, with their families, with their with their moms, dads, but nevertheless, they were the first and foremost thing they were saying, we're worried for our moms and dads, for our sisters, brothers, who are there trapped. So we don't know what will happen next. And also in our report, we have talked about uh, that this blockade is creating immense risk for humanitarian, really humanitarian disaster. Mm -hmm. Because imagine daily 400 tons of the the natural supply and the food is being delivered, transferred from Yerevan. It's daily figure. Mm -hmm. So it's true that Artsakh is heavily dependent from Armenia in terms of food supply, in terms of medicine supply, in terms of energy supply, in terms of other vital products that are being transferred from Armenia. So this is another also area where people are 
deprived from their minimum standard of living. This is a right which is enshrined in national in international human rights treaties organizations, by the way, under which Azerbaijani authorities has also commitments and obligations. And also people with disabilities. We have the data so far as of today that more than 350 persons with different types of disabilities who need this daily care, some equipment, some social support, some medications, etc., they are deprived from that. So many patients that are expecting medical, particular medical attention, uh, which is being provided only in Yerevan or only in Armenia, are deprived from their right to access to medical care. So this is another area. Right. And many schools, I think all schools at yeah. this point uh, have shut down in uh, In fact, as of yesterday, when the gas wasn't restored, the supply wasn't restored, uh, Almost every school and preschool institutions were closed and so far causing the violation of the rights of more than 30,000 children from their rights of the education to education. So it's another area of rights violations. I think we need to stress the situation one more time. This is a, a republic, although unrecognized, Artsakh, Approximately 120,000 people are living there that are completely encircled by Azerbaijan. And their only lifeline is a five kilometer wide, not even a five kilometer no. wide. Yeah. It's a road, the Lachin Corridor, mm-hmm. which is under the protection of the Russian peacekeeping forces. Now, after the end of the 2020 Artsakh War, Russian peacekeepers came into the region to protect the rights and security of the people of Artsakh. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to ask you about that because that is outside of your purview. These are geopolitical questions questions that I don't want. Mm. We're gonna, um, I do want to talk about specific rights and legal instruments. But I think it's also important to put it in, into its context that the Russian peacekeepers could have, you know, let them protest and mm-hmm. demonstrate, but I don't know why they couldn't have allowed a lane to be open mm-hmm. to allow mm-hmm. this kind of movement of people and humanitarian uh, relief that the people of Artsakh needed. But that's uh, a conversation mm-hmm. that we can have uh, another time with uh, with others. But in your report, you call on governments and international actors involved in the resolution of the conflict, saying that they should use all possible diplomatic measures to stop the siege and the blockade. Um, and as we said, they, they're saying that the gas has been restored, although we are hearing reports that it still has not gotten into people's homes mm-hmm, yet, mm-hmm. but we're assuming or hoping it will by the end of the day. But the people of Artsakh are still effectively under a blockade today. What are the legal instruments that the Republic of Armenia can apply? And, you know, you you mentioned existing treaties that Mm -hmm. Azerbaijan is a signatory to as well. Mm -hmm. What's in our toolbox? First and foremost, it should be said that True, it's it's true that there are numerous human rights instruments under which Azerbaijan has commitments. Uh, I don't like that we are only limiting our tools and obligations uh, only to the trilateral ceasefire statement. It's not so. So we should look broader. There are rights and obligations which are under the Azerbaijani authorities' obligation to to be ensured effectively. Uh, so what are in terms of the legal remedies? What kind of tools we have? Very logical. First thing, it's a European Court of Human Rights, which uh, where the governmental agent has lodged a complaint for immediate measures. And uh, yesterday, early uh, late in the evening. 
evening, we have learned that the court has responded to this application by giving uh, the Azerbaijani side the deadline until Monday, uh, I don't uh, recall the exact time of the day, to respond to these kind of allegations. And we know that we've learned this morning that the gas supply has been restored. Uh, this is the information which I got from my peer institution in uh, Artsakh. It's true. But another remedy, another tool, an avenue is the International Court of Justice, uh, where I am aware that the letter has been sent by the government's agent's office and they have described all the situations situation and the blockade that is happening and also used the data that we have collected in a, and put in our joint reports. So the objective of this letter was to inform the court that this is happening and if Azerbaijan will not take uh, effective measures, the Armenian side will request another provisional measure, which is the in, in the toolkit of the court. So uh, the letter to ICJ went uh, two days uh, earlier, and we see that the, the gas pipeline has been like uh, restored mm-hmm. or repaired. I don't know how to how to call it. Another area uh, where we might look and seek the legal protection is the individual applications under the different UN international treaties and treaty mechanisms. For instance, there are individual applications for for children, and they might uh, lodge those individual applications. It's an individual case, it's not the government's. And as soon as the committee receives them, it transfers to the Azerbaijani authorities requesting explanations for all those kind of allegations or uh, facts that are described in the, the application. So another uh, way of doing things is uh, to communicate these facts to different international human rights mandate holders. Uh, those are different rapporteurs under the UN different conventions. It's uh, indeed the Human Rights Council of the UN. Uh, It uh, also is uh, meaning uh, the regional organizations such as the Council of Europe. And uh, there is also human rights architecture, like human rights commissioner, who is, by the way, up until now silent about the situation, unfortunately. Uh, But there are also committees working on child rights, working on the rights of the persons with disabilities, working on civil rights. So there are a lot of ways. And by the way, I use this opportunity to inform that our institution from yesterday was started this kind of communications. We're also trying to help those individuals to lodge those kind of individual complaints. And also we will be following all those requests throughout a year or years ahead, because those kind of organizations are not that quick in terms of reflecting to those kind of questions. But this is something we're going to pursue. This is uh, important. And indeed, the final point in that to respond to your question is international media. We cannot and we shouldn't evaluate the significance that this kind of outlets, international media coverage 
can create an environment, informative environment, which will not only be enabling, but will uh, raise the pressure because it's bad for a country who seeks for international investment when these kind of things are happening. Right, and I think we can say that, um, of course, this is speculation, that this kind of international pressure, because there was a lot of international pressure from, you know, from different power centers uh, in the world to organizations calling on Azerbaijan to lift the blockade and restore uh, the gas supply. Because coming back to your very first point about, you know, these so-called environmentalists who were actually sent there by, by Azerbaijani authorities, but their whole narrative crumbled the minute they shut off the gas supply, <laughs> right? Because they're there purportedly for environmental reasons. Mm. And then, so why are you cutting off the gas supply, right? right? So, so I think they found themselves caught in a trap and, and perhaps the media coverage, the, the, the calls mm -hmm. from, you know, from the UK to Washington mm -hmm. to, to Brussels about, you know, lifting the blockade, hopefully uh, made the impact and they have restored the gas now. But Christina, this is not over, right? Let's say they lift the blockade tomorrow. There's absolutely no reason for us to trust that this will not happen again. What are the avenues of um, measures mm -hmm. that your office can take that Armenia's mm -hmm. government, Armenian civil society, the mm -hmm. diaspora, Armenian media, what is it that, in your opinion, we should be doing to try to mitigate mm -hmm. or at least to be prepared for the next mm -hmm. uh, blow? Yeah, uh, a brilliant question, because if we look back, even from the beginning of this year, in March, we have witnessed this gas supply cut, and then they have, uh, under the guise of the restoring gas pipeline, they have put and instructed the pulp uh, on this. Uh, so yeah, they, they put a lever on, yes, the, on the pipeline yes. so they so, can turn it on and off as they Yes, produce. absolutely. So, and then uh, what happens early December this year? You recall that uh, there were a couple of hours that this road, the only sole road, was blocked also. Mm -hmm. And there were immense negotiations, effort from uh, Artsakhi authorities, Russian peacekeepers, and the end of the day, it was on 3rd of December. So, and it's it will be happening again it's we are not naive to think that they will restore under the uh, the gas pipeline they will seize the blockade and under the international pressure and everything will be shiny no it won't unfortunately so to be preventive for those kind of events to happen in the future, we should continue and pursue all these efforts. We should continue our claims in the courts, in different courts, by the way. We should also uh, be imaginative in terms of how individually we are pursuing these complaints, how we're coordinating our efforts in terms of the uh, public diplomacy, how our parliamentary diplomacy, what kind of role, what kind of niche they are taking, and what kind of messages we are giving and continuing to give because you know sometimes it's a it's a matter of explanation it's a matter of solid argumentation that look it's not a one-time event and by the way it's uh, crucially important to show that even this blockade even before 3rd of December 
we this was being prepared and we have monitored that since we as an institution were monitoring the Azerbaijani social media, conventional media, and we have uh, collected all the facts, all their high-level public official statements were, who were calling to blockade the road, who were calling to cut the gas again. So those kind of narratives, those kind of statements were coming from the power holders. So it was clear sign because we as an institution uh, who are monitoring the, their media, we knew that something is going prepared, something is being cooked. So it it was so evident. Yeah, so. It feels like we're forever following these patterns and forever trying to prepare ourselves for the next uh, absolutely for the next event. And you know, it's interesting that um, you know Aliyev and and the Azerbaijani government claim that the population of Artsakh are their citizens, and yet they cut off gas supply to their own citizens, citizens whom uh, they are trying to cleanse. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Christina. Just one final um, issue. This whole movement, if you will, these demonstrations started because of so-called mining issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the environmentalists were saying that the Artsakh authorities had not put into place proper mechanisms to protect the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know that the Azerbaijani government has already signed or pre-signed a number of deals with large international conglomerates, mining companies who do want to come in mm-hmm. uh, into the areas that are under Armenian control mm-hmm. uh, for mining. If you can just tell us a little bit about that. Yes, uh, you're right. There are some speculations about that. But uh, I think from the human rights perspective, uh, we cannot forget, and Azerbaijani authorities know that very well, that each and every foreign investor, while signing such a big contract or going asking from the big banks uh, alone for this kind of investments, there is always a human rights close in those contracts and uh, I think uh, Azerbaijani authorities might love to have this kind of rhetoric for internal purposes for their internal population to be convinced or to be polarized even more but they cannot deny that while sitting at the table of negotiation this will come and it's not it's not good for their image there is also a partnership uh, with european union so european union is looking into the human rights issues too so it's it's even bad for their image and they know that so this is another i guess area where we should be outspoken and we should take it uh, as an as an opportunity for the argumentation but we also understand Christina, that interests supersede human rights sometimes. And with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, with the energy crisis in uh, Europe, that the EU is depending on Azerbaijan for energy supplies. This mm-hmm. obviously plays a role, does it not? Uh, well, um, I, I agree oftentimes, uh, particularly in the modern history, our modern history, uh, particularly after the Russian invasion to Ukraine, it's it's obvious that human rights mechanisms, human rights architectures, they are not living their best life, their best days. Uh, but I think we all bury, we all, particularly the democracies, we bury our part, our share of responsibilities to not be silenced 
but this kind of pressure, but to keep going, keep argumenting, keep trying to bring into the life all those mechanisms which seem to be uh, not functioning anymore. I think uh, if we're looking uh, into what's happening in Ukraine, and by the way, we are in contact with my Ukrainian colleague, we are sharing uh, what's going on there. You know, there are um, a lot of parallels. The scope, the scale, it's not the same, but there are a lot of parallels in terms of war crimes, in terms of all the scales of human rights, in terms of uh, the new modern technology, how the new modern technology is being used, how the informational war is being abused and used effectively by sites. Yeah, absolutely. I always do this. I say last question, then I think, oh, there's one more thing related and unrelated uh, to this latest incident with the, the blockade of the Lachin Corridor. Today, you also called on international partners to utilize all necessary instruments to ensure the return of Armenian POWs. And I think that's another uh, very important component of your work. Right. As a human rights defender, you are in touch with the families and you have you know, information about the conditions and um, you know, prohibiting torture and ensuring that these men, these captives uh, are returned. Yes, it's uh, one big part of our work, our everyday work outside and inside in the country because problems are complex. These uh, families are going through the hell and they are suffering a lot from uh, all the news coming up and all these uh, political gaming and bargaining uh, practices that are being enforced by Azerbaijan. And this is also our role to pursue this agenda because uh, people simply are waiting for their sons and husbands to be back. So we're the institution which has the mandate and we're doing our best. Well, Kristina Grigorian, thank you so much for taking the time from your very, very busy schedule these days and all days, it seems, in our lives Mm -hmm. uh, to help shed light on uh, the situation on the Lachin Corridor in Artsakh. Thank you. Thank you for having me.